Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Our guests this week are Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas and Lee Dixon. Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 What sort of an introduction is that? What's happened to the... Are you Normally, Lee gets his own bit. Uh, yeah. You're up. Oh, sorry. Out of... Yeah, you normally go, yeah. and... You need to do there it again, Stoney. All right, on. I'll do it Can't in a slightly more it. reverential way. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is the Handbrake Off the Arsenal podcast. Our guests this week are Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas, and a bloke who used to play fullback for the Arsenal, Lee Dixon. <laughs> How's that? Is that better? <laughs> that's per- I thought you'd like that. That's a perfect okay. intro. I couldn't have done it better myself. <laughs> Do you know, I think you could have done it better yourself. Anyway, um, now, before... Uh, we carry on. It's three years ago this week that the film 89 was released. A picture of me with Ian Wright and Tony Adams popped up in my Facebook feed. Our producer Tao also posted one. That one included Lee Dixon as well. But apparently, well, I, I don't know. I either passed on having Lee in my photo or, as you said on Twitter, you were at the bar getting us a drink. Yeah, well, I spent most of the nights supplying you with drinks, so I guess I was just gone missing for Thank a couple you. of minutes at Thank the bar you. again. Because it was a free bar. <laughs> You're normally first there when it's a free bar. Wait a minute. Well, you say it was free. Hang <laughs> somebody on. paid for it. It was... <laughs> somebody did pay, yes. Mm. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. Anyway, We, we appreciate on. that. Um, <laughs> the reason I'm talking about this is because two of the producers of that film, Lee and Amy, are here. And we will have a little chat about it later on in the show. But mainly, it's because we'd rather talk about anything but the shit show we witnessed last mm. Sunday at the Emirates. Um, but we do have to. Um and we, we were talking about maybe whether, play, whether a particular player could change the game. So we thought we'd ask the, uh, the panel whether any one player from the Arsenal, Arsenal's glorious history could have changed that game. Uh, Lee, I'll start with you. Is there any one player that you think we'd have, put, we'd have put on there who would have changed it? Well, I think you'd take more, take more than one player. It's probably an unfair question. But what, 11? Yeah, I think you, you, you'd be hard fit to pick to pit somebody who could change that. But, um, oh God, where do you start? I think I, I'd have just gone, like I did most of the time when I played with him, threw all my eggs in one basket and say, Dennis Burkamp. 
and and I'd go and tell him to play centre half, midfield, and number ten, <laughs> and centre forward, yeah. all in the same game. So if he could spread himself about a bit, that would be. Uh, I'd probably pick Dennis. Dennis would have helped creativity a bit. Dennis would. Well, have even helped. if he even if he didn't even if he didn't, you know, just watching him control the ball had been at least worth the entrance fee. <sighs> the entrance fee. If only we could actually pay an entrance fee. Fifteen quid. Yeah. Quid. Yeah, the f- ah, well, 50, I did pay the 15 quid, by the way. It was money very, very well spent. Ouch. I'm d- delighted about that. Amy, what about you? One player. I imagine you'll have several, but if you can pick one. No, I'm actually in total agreement with uh, with Lee. If we have to only have one and we're not allowed loads, which would have been obviously helpful, um, uh, just that that chronic creativity problem, uh, it's becoming sort of an ordeal to try and watch the way that um, uh, Arsenal have this kind of block, this stodge, and then there's uh, sort of the guys up front, sort of ambling around, waiting, um, and the disconnect yes. is is clearly quite troublesome. And obviously, Dennis is the best we've ever had in terms of uh, linking everything together and just being an all round genius. But I, w- I was reminded when thinking about this, of the game, I think it was against West Ham. I can't remember the score. I can't remember any other details, but I just remember the Arsenal fans singing, we've got Dennis Bergkamp, we've got Dennis Bergkamp, you've got Ian Dowie, you've got Ian Dowie. <laughs> oh, poor old Ian. Does anyone else remember that? Vaguely, sure but it, it seems a little unfair. <laughs> it seems a little unfair on Ian Dowie because you could you basically name any player in any other team. I know, but I just specifically remember it happening on this one game. I think it was the chant in that uh, vein went on for about 15, 20 minutes. Mm. Rough. I'm uh, sure, as uh, as James uh, said, I'm sure Ian Dowie remembers that. Uh, in, incidentally, I think Ian Dowie would probably have improved our team on Sunday. Um, James, what have you got? <laughs> I was thinking about this and... You know, as bad as Arsenal were, I do think they had a really glorious chance to take the lead in that game, which they passed up, that Lacazette header from that deep Tierney cross. I thought it was a great opportunity. And, you know, if they score that, I don't know, maybe the dynamics of the game shift slightly. Leicester have to come out and play more. They might create more chances. So, basically, anyone who would score that headed opportunity, I mean, I guess I'd fancy Wrighty from that sort of range, you know. Alan Smith. Alan Smith. Surely. Alan Smith, I mean, you tell Any, me. Not being funny, my postman's just walked past. He was scored yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Anyone okay, with Ian a head and eye. We'll pick Ian <laughs> Dowie. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. And by the way, James, you did say Leicester. Oh, sorry. But this was another Midlands yeah. team that we lost to. It was Villa. Um, okay, it seems like I was the only one who really took this seriously, <laughs> this question, because I, um, I, I basically said Patrick Vieira or Rocky. I think either of those, oh, yeah. uh, David Rocastle, in the midfield, just basically telling everyone, come on, what are you doing? <laughs> and I think that might have made a difference, but it's also possible it might not have done. Um, and we are going to go a, a little bit over the game. I know it was a couple of days ago. Can I ask this question first and see if anyone agrees? I mean, I watched Match of the Day. Um, I only watched it this morning, actually, because I thought I'd have another look. Did we just... Alan Shearer was talking about how good Villa were... Did we just come up? Lee, I'll ask you, did mm. we come up against the Villa side playing? The, I mean, they played a brilliant game, did they not? Yeah, I mean, sometimes sometimes you could play Villa playing like that and you playing OK and it would be totally different. I think sometimes some games end up being a perfect storm for one team and I think the way Villa played, they got they got everything spot on. 
And on the flip side of it, Arsenal were abject. So when that happens, you get a scoreline like you did. Um, and you're right, James, you know, the Lacazette header goes in. It could have been different, but it wasn't. And you and you could, you know, sometimes you just got to hold your hand up and say, if it's a one-off, you go, do you know what? We're beaten by the better side. We got it. We weren't on our game today. But, you know, the frustrating thing is that the team seems, you know, won for, lost for, drawn none. There's a there's a sign there for me that says, you know, they're either decent or they're not. I think you've got to be in a position where as a team moving forward and progressing, you have to get consistency in your game individually and also tactically and 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 as a team. And that that seems a million miles away because we had the highs of Old Trafford where you could go through the whole team and go, God, he played really well today. Everything was yeah. everything seemed like the everybody knew what they were doing, and that's where the inconsistency comes. Yes, there's full of talent in the team, but the talent talent isn't enough. You've got to be talented, and you've also got to have it in you as well to be able to churn out seven out of tens every week. Now, at the moment, we're getting you know sixes, nines, eights, fours, twos, threes spread throughout the team, and then sometimes on a day like yeah. The Villa game, you're getting a lot of players on four out of ten, and that and that simply can't happen. James, I saw I was obviously I follow you on Twitter, mm. and one of the things that you said, um, which really struck home with me, you were talking about Barkley, McGinn, and Grealish mm. being uh, the three players that that I mean, I, I guess you could talk about um, uh, whoever made that pass for the for for Barkley. I can't think of his name. All of a sudden, um, Louise, for yeah. Villa, but those three. Yes, Douglas Louise. But those three, Bartley, McGinn and Grealish, are the three types of player that would make our team better, that are the sort of players that we lack, and they were the ones who really put us to the sword. Yeah, I mean, it's the type of player they are, you know, and the, the degree of technical quality. Certainly someone that Grealish, like Grealish has, I mean, you couldn't help but sort of watch with slightly envious eyes. I mean, as he, you know, drove at defenders and took people on, showed a lot of courage on the ball. Uh, I, I mean, I loved his performance. I really, really like him as a player. But but what they also do quite well, Villa, is they get people close to him. You know, they've given him McGinn. They've given him Barkley. They've given him people that he can combine with, that draw defenders away from him. Uh, they've played to their strengths in that regard. And I sometimes feel with Arsenal... You know, we've got the system down pat, but it's not necessarily bringing the best out of certain individuals. I mean, if you think about who are the best players in this team, you know, number one off the list is probably Aubameyang, but he didn't manage to get a shot, did he, in the game? So we're not serving the talent that we do have. No, I mean, I'll come I'll come to the stats uh, in a minute. Um, and there are some pretty damning stats all Albino's come up with a few. There were also some on Match of the Day the other night as well. But Amy, I want to ask you, um, does Mikel Arteta get a pass for performances like this because he's a new manager? And, and, and you know, uh, referencing that, how long before things start to turn if the football remains as sterile as it is? Um, I think the... Uh, there are two different bits of that question that are that need different answers and the second one I'm not sure I could tell you I don't know how long uh, this is going to be okay for and part of that is linked to the fact that we don't have crowds in the stadium so I think there is a different sort of temperature with everything that's going on and all the kind of emotional feelings around football and how you react to it um, 
that makes that so hard to assess at the moment. As far as it's a free pass, uh, again, probably people have their own um, places along the spectrum for that. But I would say yes. I, I think on the uh, proviso that Mikel Arteta can go away and have a bit of a think. Um, I think if he continues to sort of stay with the you know the next game or the next few games that the, that first choice forward line of Aubameyang, Lacazette, Willian, as it seems to have turned into, um, you know, without providing uh, more of a formula to, to help Arsenal to be more attack-minded, to be more penetrative, um, then people will start to ask increasingly pointed questions. Um, but I also think that the, the free pass partly comes from the fact that maybe this game was a bit of a reminder of what, what he picked up when he joined a year ago and how hard it is to engineer serious change with a lot of the same pieces in your jigsaw. Um, not quite sure how people think the picture is going to be that radically different um, when there's still a lot of issues in the team that it doesn't matter how good a coach you are, but you know you probably can't fix certain things. Again, and that creativity, we keep banging on about that, but it's not a coincidence that Arsenal were very, very enamoured of either or or both of uh, Partey and Awar in the summer. And, you know, yes. you can't help wondering if, if there had been some way to get both or two similar types of players in, whether that makes a big difference to what Arsenal, uh, how much change Mikel Arteta can produce. But he's still limited to an extent by what is there. And there are, when you go through the squad, still quite a lot of players where probably if you were in fantasy land, you wouldn't mind an upgrade. And that's what he's got to, to make competitive enough in a league like the Premier League to be trying to get in the top four or something. It's not easy. Yeah, well, I, I think I think most of us do. Um, by the way, talking of fantasy land, uh, you, we're going to talk about James Peace uh, in the second section of the show, where he does uh, go off on a bit of a flight of fancy, which is not, which is a little bit depressing, <laughs> to, to be honest, James. But we'll get to that. Uh, but if you want to read it, um, you can now subscribe to the Athletic for just one pound a week. You can read all of our articles on Arsenal and so much more. And uh, we'll be chatting through them, um, what's been happening in The Athletic in part two. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod and sign up for just £1 a week. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Lee, do you give um, Mikel Arteta a bit of a free pass just for the moment, or are you starting to look at it and think, "Well, no, this is it needs a lot of work." I mean, Amy did say he he picked up he's picked up quite a few players from the past who he maybe wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have had in the squad if he had a choice. No, I, I don't like the phrase free pass. I think there's that there should be a, a period of time when every manager is is given time, and that that's the, just the nature of of the Premier League. Um, the way it is, you don't get that. So 
he's always fighting the ticking clock. There's no doubt about that. And every manager is. Um, I think the important thing is that people realise exactly what Amy said, the, the players that he inherited, the style of play that he wants to do. He's a very young coach himself, inexperienced. He's got his plan, his plan A, his plan B needs work. Um, but when you look at the side and you look at the uh, inadequ inadequacies of, of the each department, you know, he's doing the best he can. And you, so you're going to get results like the other night and you're going to get played eight, won four, lost four, lost four games, 50% of the games already this season in the Premier League. So that's inconsistency. And that is basically huge, almost total reliance on one player to get you a goal. No goals from necessarily anywhere else um although Lacazette's got three and six but he, he seems to have gone off the ball no goals from midfield at all you can't even you know you can't even make a case no breaking midfield player that forces teams back like a like a Mason Mount or somebody running through the middle like that and breaking into the box so already the the way that you can play with with that I haven't even mentioned the back four you know the back four or five then you, you're limited in what you what you, you can achieve in my book. So you've got to chip away at those little things. Does he want that those types of player? Where's the creativity in midfield? Um, and Amy's right. You know, a player like our would have been somebody that you go right. Yeah, that 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 would have helped. Um, and the back the back line has 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 been a lot better to the detriment of of everything else. And 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 now you've got what everyone's turned there their gaze up front and going, well, you don't score or create any chances. So, and then sooner or later they'll, they'll, they'll try and work on that. And then, you know, I'm still not huge. Don't, you know, take your stats and shove them where the sun don't shine, uh, Stony, because, you know, I'm not a stat man and I just, <laughs> I just see what I see. And, I, and yes. the back line to me, the goals the other night were atrocious defensively. Um, and so, although they they had the best record in the league up until that point, they they um, they haven't now. And you know, I still worry about the team's um, ability to to keep the ball out of the net on a regular basis over a period of time. Um, so uh, it's not all doom and gloom. He just needs time, and 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 he needs players. It's <laughs> simple, like every manager. Time and players. And before listen, before I, I do take those stats and shove them where the sun doesn't shine, I should like to share them with uh, with the group. Um, a couple of things from Albino, uh, James. Six hours and 26 minutes since Arsenal last scored a goal from open play in the Premier League. Harry Maguire has had more shots at goal this season than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang or Alex Lacazette. Um, we're just not... We're just not offensive enough. Yeah, we don't we don't take enough shots. I mean, that's for sure. And if you look at the way Arsenal build the play, they, they do it a lot in their own third. You know, they retain a lot of possession deep. They do it, I think, more than any other Premier League team. Like Unai Emery's team, To an extent. And, I, and there's a degree to which I feel like there's a bit of... Um, almost a bit of a, a perfectionist streak in the way that they look to build the play. You know, it's very, very precise. And the chances that they create are good ones by and large, but they're just few and far between. And that's why we focus on the misses. Um, obviously, a creative midfield player like an hour would help. And I do think that, you know, th this rebuilding job that Arteta's doing was always going to be one that took more than one transfer window or two transfer windows. It was always going to be, you know, three or four, maybe even beyond that. 
Um, and, and I do think that, yeah. you know, of course, the Villa game was incredibly disappointing, but I think t- there was a sort of slight perfect storm element to it in terms of quite how bad they were um, and quite how good Villa were. But yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I don't give Arteta a pass. I think this is a challenge now because ultimately whether or not he needs new players He's got to get to January. He's got to get to a next summer. There are games to be won. And do I think he can do better with what he's got? I think he probably could a little bit. You know, I think that there's definitely a way to engender more creativity in this team. And I, I look forward to seeing how he tackles that challenge, you know, over the next couple of weeks before we've got another tricky game away to Leeds. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a question for all of you. Um, do you think the crowd, uh, having a crowd at the game would have changed it? Um, Teo, our producer, mentioned a moment when Elneny didn't pay a pass to Tierney and then got dispossessed by Ollie Watkins. And you can imagine the crowd really getting on his back. Uh, I mean, Lee, there must have been games you played in where things weren't really working out. And then, um, uh, I don't know, the crowd just, just jumped in a little bit and fired you up. No, it, I think it's... T- Absolutely, it makes a difference. You know, there's no, there's no, um, very rarely a game that the crowd doesn't have some sort of influence. As, and I'm talking about me as a player. So, the, you know, you hear people say, "Can you hear things?" You don't necessarily hear um, individual voices that much, but you get the sense of it. And then you, you hear the odd one who's barking out orders. And and in general, you, yeah. you you you're immune to it because you're concentrating on. But if you give the ball away. And then two minutes later, you're in the same position. You don't normally make the same pass because if you give it away again, then you get affected by that. So there is a, there, and I think that to be honest with you as well, I think that managers and coaches are, are affected by it as well on the sidelines. You know, last I think it was last season there was a um, at home. I think there was there was a giving the ball away from trying to play out from the back about three times on the trot. And if there had been a crowd there, there's no way. Arteta would have, I don't believe, would, yes. have, would have said, right, on the fourth one, let's do it again. Because the pressure is, yeah. is, is building from the sidelines. So uh, I think it does affect players. Um, so, you know, that having said that, there's a game plan and he, he, he likes to stick to it. And that's why I was talking before about the plan B. You know, has he got a plan B? I'm not sure that working on a plan B is... Which sounds, Amy, uh, very much like the things that were said when Arsene Wenger was the manager. Uh, look, I think, again, we're looking at a guy who's in his first year of coaching and it's been a bonkers year for all sorts of external reasons. And he is learning on the fly to a degree. Um, and I guess there is a temptation. We know he's a strong-minded character Mikel Arteta he's shown that already that he's come in from day one talking about about non-negotiables and um being quite clear about his ideas and I think there was always a sense of one of the things that I thought about when he first arrived is I wondered if being um a player under Wenger and then particularly obviously a coach learning his trade under Guardiola he was going to have very very fixed idea of the way he wanted to play and would that be the right idea for a slightly flawed yeah. squad? In other words, how flexible is he going to be to um, to give a bit, to compromise, uh, because he hasn't got players that are good enough to play in the way that sort of Guardiola has been trying to play with Man City over these recent years, or, or indeed his other teams. And I think this is a really interesting moment in time in that evolution of Arteta's 
sort of um, management approach that maybe for the first time he, he's really facing that question of himself. Can I do what I want to do with this group? Uh, because there were, obviously there was such a good reaction to his sort of initially coming in and the way that he spoke and the way that he connected with the players and what he tried to get them to do and they all believed and those that didn't believe found themselves peripheral and, and something was happening and everybody felt it. But we've hit a point where suddenly it, it, there's a bit of a challenge to that concept. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see how much Arteta learns from it and perhaps adapts himself or doesn't. We'll, we'll probably know a lot more about him by how he manages the team and how they respond to him over these next few weeks. Amy, just just on that point, just just going back to what you said there, the fact that we now know, and I, and I know personally, that what's going on in on the training pitch at London Coney is really good, and every you know every everybody's enjoying training. The training's supposed to be amazing, you know, really good coach. That's almost slightly more worrying now that yeah. I know that that we're not seeing, you know, we're seeing um, performances on the pitch that are very very, you know chalk and cheese so that to me tends says to me it's a it's a problem with the in, the consistency of the play of each individual player to be able to get a performance out of himself every single week and that's the sign of a top player when you can do that regardless of what's going on around you you can go right there's my seven out of ten see if i can get a seven and a half an eight out of ten and you start your, your base level is a seven and once you once you get to that level as a player you, you are the world's your oyster because you can just you can then start looking around and know the guy next to you is going to do your seven as well so straight away most of the teams you come across you're going to beat just by turning up because you've got the game plan you've got the consistency of performance as an individual and a team it's also by the way sorry amy before it's also lee the fact that if you are a seven out of ten player when you put in a, a slightly bad performance, it only goes down to 6 out of 10. And you can still, let's say that some of the players that you played with, playing the way they did in that first half or, or beginning the second half and being 1-0 down, would have probably got a draw out of that because they would have just dug in a little bit, whereas it didn't seem like they were capable. Yeah, I mean that you've hit the nail on the head. That's what you're trying to achieve, I think, as a, as a, because you because you've got a bunch of talented players doesn't mean to say that you're going to win things and be consistent every week. It means that you've got the talent. Now, have we got everything else it takes to be a, a player at the top of the league on a regular basis? Have we have we got the character? Have we got the heart? Have we got the and all the play? You know, all the players will go. Yeah, I, I never give up. I keep. It's not. It's not just about not giving up. It's about understanding what you're yes. doing as a job. Yes. What What's your job? How do I do that every week? And then go. I could be a nine this week, but I'll, what you're going to get from me is a seven. And then from there onwards, all it is, you're looking up at ten. You're not looking down at four and five because you know that's not going to happen you know the caliber of what staff and other people at london colony are seeing on the training ground versus what we're seeing on the training pitch is a really interesting one and i remember earlier this season i think it was after the the leicester game maybe when we lost i remember arteta in his press conference sort of saying you know we've had our best weeks training that we've had since I've been here. And you could almost see a bit of confusion on his face as he tries to sort of come to terms with the fact that, you know, Monday to Friday 
he's doing everything he can and he's seeing everything he thinks he should be seeing from these players. But yet when they go out there and the whistle blows and the game starts, it's not quite the same thing. And I think, as Lee suggested, I think that tells you a certain certain extent about the, the players and maybe about their character. Well, maybe we want to go and what? Maybe we should pay fifteen quid for yeah, training maybe. next time. What you were saying there about you know with the, the, the seven out of ten kind of benchmark, whether sometimes there's um, a bit of confidence at play that might mean on a good day you're playing a pass really quickly, you're looking up and everything's happening more naturally, and on a day where for whatever reason it's the game's not quite going how you want, that you just lose a percentage point of uh, uh, of confidence or have an extra percentage point of of doubt that slows you down so you hang on to the ball a little bit longer so you don't look up and see the pass or play it quickly enough and then you know the whole game slows down and the options reduce almost before everybody's eyes it fe- it felt a bit like um with the with the game against villa that kind of performance that a whole lot of players who could have maybe put in a seven out of ten on a different day or certainly gave that or more at old trafford just weren't doing quite the same things uh because it all just felt a bit inhibited all of a sudden. Well, the thing is, thing is it's a really good point, Amy, because this is what... I'll just take you back now to me playing in a game and thinking that exactly what you said, that your first two, three passes go a bit awry and you're getting a bit of stick from Dennis, who's made a run, or somebody, the crowd have said, you know, and all you realise yourself before anybody, you go... Do you know what? I'm just not quite there. It's like any anything. It's not just football. It's anything. Works you do in, in comedy life. as you well, by the way. One day do it. Same thing. More to some than others, but there you go. Um, <laughs> Very nicely. Very <laughs> funny. Go on. The the the. So on those days, on that particular day, and Martin Keown, Tony Adams, uh, Nigel will have heard me say it, and I've heard them all say it to me. Uh, I'll turn around to him and go, "I'm in trouble here." We need. I need help. And you turn around and you go, you know you're not quite on it, and you tell your teammate next year, because I know that when I turn and say to Martin, Martin, I'm just, you know, I'm struggling a bit today, for whatever reason it is, and I can feel my performance dropping down to a five or a six or whatever, he turns around to me and I've got confidence in him and he knows that I need him. He turns. He turn, He immediately turns himself into an eight and a nine straight away. And the guy in front of me, I'll say to Ray Parler, I feel really leggy today. I need a bit of help with Giggsy or I need a, I need something. And because you you build up a, a team rapport between you and you trust each other, and that's part, again, about being a top player, is having trust in your partners and having the ability to be able to ask for help in different times. And you, you're, that's what building a team is all about. And you get to a point, and it takes time, you get to a point where my five... As now my seven has dropped to a five, but because I've got people around me who know that, they've gone up, they've gone up to eight and nine, and I've managed to hang on to a six. Now you start adding the numbers up and you go, Oh, actually the team's not dropped back. But on the left wing, you might have Mark Overmars doing the same thing on the other side, and he's not quite he's shanked a couple into the north bank or whatever it is, and you go, Right, okay, we understand the team works it out between you. That's where you that's when you know you go, Amy, when you go out on a pitch, that confidence is still there because I know I don't have to hit every pass. I don't have to be the best I've ever been. Just be try, but if I'm not, the team yeah. will take care of my inefficiencies. And that's where the team spirit and all of that lot kicks in. 
Um, and you, you can't buy that. It takes, it takes time, it takes working together, and it takes a certain type of character. You know, I don't know the characters of these players. I don't know whether one of them has a bad a bad a bad game or a bad training session. Whether they drop their heads or, or I don't know because I'm not with them. You know, you 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 get an essence of it when you watch them and go, how can you go from Man United to Villa? So what's going on in your in your footballing brain for you to drop that performance from there down to there? There's something you know that's that's not right. So you've got to work out what it is that. Is it the character of the team? Then they get you get them out and you get new ones in, or is it just um, an evolution of the team and you've got to be patient? One Lee, one question before I let you go. Um, Willian was a bit of a lightning rod on uh, Twitter on uh, Sunday evening. A lot of abuse. People don't like the two hundred grand a week, whatever it is. Um, I mean, I saw his um, uh, a map of all his passes, which were almost all backwards so he gets the ball the fullback comes to him and he passes it backwards uh i mean we didn't pay we're not paying 200 grand a week for that are we i mean i, I imagine you would love to come up against him playing the way he did oh you if you if you've got somebody playing against you who passes the ball backwards all the time then happy days what you don't, don't want him to do is turn around and, and especially the player of his ability you know, he's probably the best in world football uh, at that little standing still in front of a fullback and opening himself up to the right and getting a crossing. You know, that little and then outside. He's got that. He's just brilliant at that. Now, the fact that he's not doing that, that's a, that's that's down to him. It's down to the team. It's down to all, all of what I've just talked about, about someone grabbing hold of him and going, I, I'm not being funny. If I was playing behind him and he was doing that to me, you know, and I'd be like, what? I would say to him, well, why are we paying you 200 grand a week? Get yourself up there and make my job a lot easier. I, I, I've got to chase back now because you passed it backwards and we're in, you know, there's got to be that going on on the pitch. Is that going on on the pitch? I don't know. I, I doubt it. I, I know the game's changed and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not stupid enough to believe that some of my... Um, antics would have gone down particularly well in, in that dressing room, but I wouldn't have cared. I, I, you know, the team is more important to me than Williams' feelings. So, I think Lee makes a really good point, by the way. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Which is that you know, Williams not a bad player. Like we're not seeing it at Arsenal, no. but this is a guy with enormous pedigree and who is exceptionally good at a certain thing, as Lee says, going on the outside, getting balls in from the right hand side. That we're not well, seemingly either we're not asking him to do it. Or he's not doing it. So I do think it sort of becomes about maximising your resources. He's not a bad player. Um, but it's just not clicking right now. No, quite. Um, uh, also, Lee, I will say we're going to let you go. But also, as we said, as I said at the start, three years uh, since the 89 uh, film came out. You and Amy, of course, uh, very uh, heavily involved in making that happen. Um, do you see any any parallels between that team and the one we've got now at the moment? Well, that's a short last question. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, listen. I, Go I, on. I'm not on. I'm not on here to 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 bash the no. team at the moment. I, I I for one believe that you need time and, and Arteta needs time. I'm not saying that you should change things. I'm just saying it's very difficult with what he's got, and he and he's finding out. You know, he's going to find out the hard way and that's that's the only way there is because that's how it is at the moment so but to, to start comparing the team that the 89 team to anything that you've got you know you have to remember as well that 89 team was full of homegrown 
um, players that were playing in the team every single week and we used you know 15 players that season it was ridiculous so that that team was as together as you'll ever ever get a team together i mean i you know we're talking we're we're talking you know 11 12 players most weeks playing every single week um and and just getting on with it and that's just how it was um and you know it's very difficult for me to compare them to anything that we've seen of recent at the club unfortunately quite i mean amy is it more about comparing them with maybe the team in 86 when george graham you know early days and 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 do you see any sort of hope there in terms that we can progress i mean it just feels like such a long time ago i mean when you're talking about 86 to, you know to now it's what 35 years or, or or whatever it's such a distance in terms of um culturally socially uh the game um that it, i think it is quite difficult I, obviously you had a with george graham coming in a, a a new young manager who was very very hungry and i do think there are some similarities they're very single-minded um, very sure about what they can achieve and uh, someone that the players responded to straight away and you were either with them or you weren't and that was the case for George and that was the case for uh, Mikel and and George kicked out or, or you know a lot of uh, what he felt were big time Charlies at the time and you know it wasn't it's not the same as the situation now with say Mesut Ozil or whatever but certainly a kind of not suffering fools and going your own way and not really caring if the if some players didn't like it because they had to come your way or the highway. That was George's philosophy and I think Mikel has tried to think similar. But I th- just go back to Lee's point, I just think that George Graham had, quite clearly, the team won the league. They were the best in the country pretty quickly. So he had some of the best players around or he got hold of some of the best players around and made them even better. And he formed a unit that was better than an absolutely majestic and dominant Liverpool team at that time. Uh, it's asking a lot for Mikel to do that now because football has changed so much. I mean, you know, George Graham didn't did most of his shopping in, um, you know, the division below. <laughs> let's be honest, uh, that's not really gonna gonna happen in this day and age. Uh, so to try and catch up the best around by being able to shop smart, shop local, blend together, brilliant people that you bring in with brilliant young players that you have who've come through, uh, everybody being um, connected in a way because culture, you know, the entire team was British and Irish in, in the late 80s. So, you know, you've got, it's just so utterly contrasting in a certain way that I think it's, you can't see a like for like. You can't really ask Mikel Arteta to do what George Graham did. George Graham scouted Steve Bold and by extension Lee Dixon because he bought the local paper in Stoke and got his secretary to cut out the 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 local reporter's weekly column to see who was the best player yeah. at Stoke. And the same names kept cropping up. And he noticed that this... But this bloke called Lee Dixon but you know, was getting you, player of the year Amy, twice you... and he was a fullback and he thought, well, he must be good. <laughs> And then he went and had a look at him. It's <laughs> but do you know that? Do you know that, Amy? You've hit, you've hit a, you've hit a really good point that we sort of touched upon before about character of players. When when they were when Arsenal were watching me, they were watching me for about six months. I knew they were watching me, 
um, way on early in the season and it went on and on and on. I signed eventually in the February and I was like, it was almost like, why are they doing that? And it's because they would watch, they would watch you when you're in form. So they go and watch you and they get a report back and going, oh, Lee Dixon's playing well. So they go and watch you then for two or three weeks, watch you playing well in a team not bothered about how the team's doing, and then they would leave it a while, and then they'd go back when the team was struggling, and you go, oh, Stoke are not doing so well. They'd go back and watch me then when the team's struggling. So what's he doing now? Is he still playing well? Is he still... What's he playing now? The team's struggling. Then they go back when you're struggling yourself, but the team's doing well. So you know that, that, that he's in a... I'm in bad form, but the team's doing well. What's he doing in the team? You know, is he still shouting about, even though he's having a bad time? Is he still organising? So by the time they'd finished six months scouting, they'd watched you, you know, 30, 20 times. And they knew you in the rain. They knew you in the sunshine, when you're down, when you're up. And they build a character, and then all of a sudden, when you take a chance on a player, lower leagues, and you put them in, you go, don't need to worry about his character. A bit like Tierney, you don't need to worry about his character. But they've worked all that out by watching you week in, week out, and then leaving you for a bit, and watching you again. And I think that's, you know, when you... I think the scouting system's completely different now and everybody knows everybody. And so when a chance comes of getting a player, you almost take a, you just go, I'll, I'll sign him because somebody else will get him. But do you really know the ins and outs of that player? You know, do we know that Pepe will play in the rain when it's, you know, or or, or whoever, Tierney, yeah, you can kind of tick a box there. But what what's the character of the player like when things are really, really going badly? And that, that's that's what makes you know that's what made the, the character of the player. Well, hopefully we don't get to find that out at Arsenal fairly soon. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Lee. Uh, lovely to speak to you as always. Cheers, everyone. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. This is the uh, handbrake off podcast. I'm Ian Stone. Thanks to Lee Dixon. Uh, for his uh, insight as always um, I'm still here with Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas um, now we normally talk about the pieces that uh, people have written for The Athletic Amy's been having a, uh, <laughs> a slight break and that's perfectly fair enough uh, James uh, you have been uh, writing uh, the piece you wrote as I said, you went off on a little flight of fancy at the start of your piece, um, which I loved reading it. But the last sentence really scared me. And I want—I thought we could all talk about this. Your last sentence in that piece, um, uh, one suspects a talent like Jack Grealish would only flourish in this Arsenal team if Arteta could learn to take his hand off the wheel. Um, I found that a little bit worrying, if I'm honest, because you're basically saying that he's a bit micromanaging the team. That's perhaps. my impression. I have to say, I think Arteta... A lot of the positive things that he's brought to this Arsenal team have been have come from that kind of attention to detail and that uh, inclination to control, to have very clear instructions, to provide players, you know, with a platform, a simple understanding that they can follow on the pitch. I think that's been sort of fundamental to his coaching. I think what we've not necessarily seen is maybe players who are a bit more of a creative bent uh being granted liberty you know freedom to to do what they do i mean look at the problems he's had obviously including Meza Ozil not just in his team but within his squad and his setup more generally uh so yeah i do have that concern that it might not be as simple as buying a creative player and just implanting them into the current structure i mean i think nicolas pepe i think bakai saka i think these are creative players but that to a certain extent the kind of tram lines on which they seem to be playing at times inhibit them 
Um, and I think, you know, something Amy said in part one is that she hopes Mikel Arteta kind of uh, has a good long think about this defeat. And I think the timing of it in some respects is, is helpful because he has a fortnight now to sort of really examine the way Arsenal have played in these opening eight games uh, and sort of figure out if, if this is how he wants to continue going forward. Because I sort of have the suspicion that the way we're playing now is something we kind of fell into almost in Project Restart, a formation switch he made after we lost the opening two games to Man City and Brighton. He went to the back three and that it kind of worked for Arsenal through those difficult weeks, the hectic schedule, the FA Cup run in which they had games against big teams, but but that it's not necessarily the most sustainable way to play for 38 games. Uh, Amy, I mean, both of you have been in the stadium, have you not, when, when Mikel Arteta has been there? He does like to direct the traffic and obviously this lack of crowds, um, it means that he can. But, you know, uh, I, well, I, I hesitate to say take the handbrake off, but that's a little bit what it feels like at the moment, right? I think, I mean, the irony is that, we, you know, you can talk on other occasions and say how having no crowd and having him be able to coach or micromanage the team through matches has been a plus. So I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's um, totally, you know, suddenly a big, a big negative from that point of view. He, he likes having that connection and I think he feels that the team needs him to, to do that. But it, it's like James was saying, have a think about how he wants this team to look. Um, it, yeah, I, I, I just feel there's more, there's, yes. there is, you know, it's not at the limit of its capabilities. Is this team playing the best that it could be playing um, overall? When you are all, how many players are playing as well as they can play? So may, you know the system does feel like it's so important, but I always remember when I was a very very young writer um, meeting Johnny Giles while I was covering Ireland years ago, and and he always seemed so very wise. And I think I asked him some question vaguely pertaining to tactics and he just gave me a look and he went game's not about tactics the game's about players and it's it stuck with me for about 30 years that the, the way he said it he just you know from from a an all-time great footballer i think that if you have great players that yeah. the, the, the rest of it is there to serve the players as james was saying that, that you know the players shouldn't be there to serve the system and somewhere maybe uh, there's some kind of I, I completely understand and think Arteta was absolutely right to set about trying to get Arsenal organized and and functioning better from when he walked in and picked up this absolute chaos and to cut to come out of that situation with an FA Cup with a community shield getting back into Europe when at times it all looked really bloody hopeless was exceptional but this is this this is a, a fascinating next step of of his coaching career because not everything just goes on an upward trajectory like non-stop and I think it, it would have been understandable if he'd have thought maybe in the summer and moving forwards that things just seem to have kind of in general apart from the you know odd really obvious setbacks um kind of kind of generally been going fairly upwards um but it's hit a bit of a of a sticking point and this is going to be a time that will 
hopefully be important in his development as a as a coach and what he thinks is achievable and how to achieve it. Uh, well, he's got two weeks to think about it now. Um, I, I would uh, urge people to read uh, this it's a piece. a bloody good intro, James. Uh, talking about a 30... I didn't know how you came up with it's that. It's great. Uh, this... The year is 2023. I was, I was going to ask if you were drunk, actually, but it's, uh, I, and I, I don't mean been. that in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just really, really uh, nice and evocative. Uh, a couple of lines really stood out. In the stands, 24-year-old Joe Willock, now the Europa League group stage all-time record goal scorer, eagerly awaits the possibility of some Premier League minutes. Uh, yeah, that one made me sigh a little bit. But anyway, I would recommend it. One more thing, by the way. Um, two points more. I think this might come from Albino as well. Two points more from the same games uh, this season uh, than last season. So it, it really shouldn't be all doom and gloom. Stony, and you're and a I hope people don't go away What's from this. What's going on? You've turned into a stato. I, I've just. I need solace wherever I can find it at the moment because I so want Mikel Arteta to do well. I mean, I genuinely do. He has... I, 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 I love... I, do you know what? I loved his jacket the other day. He looked absolutely fantastic. I want him to do well and, and, and performances. You see, that's a bummer because he can't wear that jacket well, again He doesn't now. have to wear different outfits. He's not Princess Diana. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, it's like you put on a jacket, it goes well, you wear it again. You know, that's all that, you know, I think that he can't wear that jacket to a game, can he? I don't know. I'm going to, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I think we should watch this space and see if that jacket makes another appearance because it, it'll tell us a lot about him. Oh my god! I didn't realise you were living in medieval times, but okay, fair enough. I'm. I don't go with any of that. He can wear that jacket whenever he wants. I just want the team to play better. Let's have um. Let's have a song before we go. Uh, Amy, do you have a song for us? Well, it's a bit uh, uh, of a song, not particularly relating to Arsenal, but I thought. Um, I, I thought something from Frankie Valley Valley in the Four Seasons would be appropriate, uh, given. Four Seasons Total Landscaping um, being, uh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> being a moment that we should all cherish forever and ever. So, I don't know. Yes. Big girls don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm liking it. Tayo, by the way, has just uh, 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 said to me after that jacket reference, he's going superstition. Uh, the Stevie Wonderver is absolutely fantastic song. I like that as well. James, what have you got? Well, Superstition is one of my favourite songs, so I, I'm going to sort of put my vote for that. I actually had Hot Legs by Rod Stewart about Jack Grealish because uh, I'm just in love with those those, <laughs> those chunky calves. calves of his. Yeah, Those calves. Yeah, I'll give you that. And um, I had um, uh, Miss You, uh, the Rolling Stones, because uh, of the crowd, really, because I just can't wait. Because we've had some good news, re-COVID this week, and I thought maybe we'll get back at some point, and I think we might have helped. I think we might have helped. We've got the passing out of the back now. We're not, we haven't been there for a few months, so they can perfect that. But I think they're missing the crowd at this point, and I think we might help. So uh, I'm going for Miss You uh, by The Stones. Uh, that's it. Do you know what I liked about that moment? Neither of you had a go at me about that as well, because it's a half-decent song. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, that's it. For Won't happen again. Thank <laughs> No, I... Do you know what? I'm on a good run at the moment. Uh, thanks to uh, Amy and to James and to Lee Dixon and to Teo, our producer. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. This has been the Handbreak Off podcast for The Athletics. Stay safe. See you soon. Mm-hmm.